Gentlemen to Third World Gaming, the number 27 show in the teenage life of a college student who loves to hug her pockets so very tenderly. We wish we were that awesome. Anyway guys, welcome to the show. Uh, we're here to talk about something very close to our heart, games. Because this is a gaming podcast. <laughs> we are Third World Gaming after all. And we're here to innovate your life, or we just to iterate something else. Yes. Today's topic involves a discussion about iteration and innovation. Now, um, our definitions are for iteration are going to be that with iteration, it is essentially taking a formula and using it to make something out of it. That's a horrible definition. <laughs> I'm sorry, my, my mind was trying too hard to find simple terminologies that it just... Ended up retarding itself. So iterations, basically, they get the same thing and do it over and over again. Or get the same basic formula and... Do it over and over again. Yes. <laughs> While adding a little bit of that, of their own spice into it. And that little bit of spice is the innovation section. Now, innovation is, well, very obviously doing something new, different, or essentially making a new IP or a new method of stuff. Basically doing something that is cur- that would be considered unknown. Papers, or- please. Or uncharted territory, Goat Simulator? No, 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 un, no, no. That's Goat, pretty uncharted. Goat Simulator was already Not like uncharted, which is a very nice game too. Un, um, no innovation Go- there though. Goat Simulator already ex- existed in a form long before. It was a glass house. Do not recall that one. Did the glass house goat? in uh, Red Faction. Oh, okay, okay. We're talking about that. Okay. Yeah, it existed before as the glass house. Okay, yeah, okay. You make a point there. Anyway, guys, yeah, we're going to talk about iteration and innovation. Essentially, well, everyone's been here in the community. Everyone wants something innovative. Everyone wants something different. They want the new thing. We don't want the same old Mario Kart. We don't want to play COD over and over and over Over again, even though we buy the game over and over and over again. We want something different. We want something amazing, something that makes us feel, something that demands papers, something that demands an indie look into it. That wants don't really want to pay money for. And this go and this goes into something that should be noted. I recall there was a game theory episode that actually discussed the discussed some some related topics to this because they mentioned sales of titles. Like, for example, in comparison between in the more innovative Mario games and the um, more standard format Mario games. It was noted that Mario, that the more standard Mario games as we know them, they sold much more than the more innovative ones. Yep, just as mentioned, essentially as much as we cry for innovation, since we seem to buy more of the same thing and over and again. I mean, we love reiterations for some reason, even though we demand something else. Now, what we want to look into is why is that so? Why do we demand something um, different? Just but to not add, support it. Just to add to our definitions for <clears throat> iteration, we're not si- we're not saying that all iteration is just the exact same thing in ha- um being sh- uh, spat out over and over again. The usual thing that occurs when with a number of games that are just iterating on a formula is that they take the formula and they just and the developer will try to make their own spin on it. But essentially the base formula is still there. They didn't tamper with it, they just added their own little tweaks and touches to it. 
Uh, this should not be in, uh, misunderstood as essentially having exact same styles of gameplay. Because, I mean, for different genres, I mean, we've talked about this before, where gameplays can be similar just because it's part of that genre. But when you reiterate something or make iterations of something, it's simply... Oh, Mario Kart is something I love using an example. Because Mario Kart, from the original one to the latest one, there isn't too much change. You still have the very basic concept to it as a Mario Kart-style racer. With a slight innovation, they say, of well, adding new cars or new abilities. Well, then I'd also... Go, well, to that, I would then also go into another example point. Where I'm going to say that a lot of the shooters that came out after... I think between the time period of 2008 and 2010 were essentially iterations on the base formula that was presented in Call of Duty 4. Heck, if you really want to go with uh, shooters, uh, you should see all the Counter-Strike clones made by the Chinese, the Korean, uh, different markets for MMO-style shooters. I know one of them, I think it was called Interception. Was... Interception was one of them. There's actually a lot. No, uh, I've played I'm a number of those before. I am Crossfire re- is a popular one, I think, right now. Or at least it when I was playing. It still is. Because it's still being advertised. I know it's still being advertised on it, on internet cafes. I only noted Interception because... Cause I noticed it on Steam. Mm. I didn't go any further because I heard it was a buggy mess. Now, a good invention though of innovation at this point, besides the indie market, I guess, let's go on the concept here, shooters. Team Fortress 2, honestly, is a fairly innovative game in itself. Even though it follows something that seems very basic when it comes to the form of classes and setup. How so was it innovative? Because when, when I looked at it, <clears throat> when I looked at it, I f- saw it as, Kind of a iteration on class on the class based shooter, as per the as per the old Quake days that they just added a few little touches and tweaks to differentiate themselves from the mayhem of uh, Quake. Well, the thing with the innovative section of the uh, Team Force Two actually didn't really come out of the gameplay per se. The gameplay, even though it's being very solid to how you said the class system, yeah. it had a very interesting story. The marketing was very different from anything else. It also stuck out from being very cartoony versus being very realistic to all the shooters at that time. And what other game do you remember where skins were the unlocks? Or essentially non-combat uh, setups. But, right? h- but how did the gameplay formula differentiate itself? The differentiation there was very minor, but innovation doesn't require you to change a major gameplay aspect. But essentially, innovation can simply be changing the way you play. Okay. Gameplay, I mean, it sounds confusing, changing the way you play and gameplay. I mean, the way you play is just essentially maybe it would be the aesthetics, it could be little things that don't really have this bigger, remarkable change. I mean, simply the way that I innovated my Counter-Strike game simply by reskinning, redoing some little stuff made it a bit different. That's so- a sort of innovation. I mean, not it's not a world-changing innovation of stuff. It did not suddenly make this, oh my god, this is the world's best game. I mean, that's something people think innovation is all the time. It's not really that. Sometimes it's the smallest changes that make something a bit more appealing. I'll, I mean, keep this, I'll keep this in mind because I was mostly looking at it from the standpoint of gameplay. Well, I mean, that's also, that can also be seen in maybe games like Portals. Portals 1 was very innovative in the sense of how it redid the puzzle game. Yes. Portal 1 and Portal 2 did innovate a lot on the puzzle format because it essentially focused on... Essentially, it did one thing I feel not too many puzzle games did, and that was focus a lot on context-based puzzles. And a companion cube. Yes. For five minutes. I have no idea why people liked it so much. Seriously, I don't. 
I'm just... Huh. If I'm correct, there are a lot of puzzles there that are very context-based. Uh, yeah, I've seen Portals 2 where lots of has reference to Portals 1. Okay. And Portals 1, well... It, honestly, it was not that difficult game for me. I mean, I found it really nice and simple, but that's because I grew up with games like Myst. Okay. So I had pretty hard puzzle games. So this wasn't so bad. I mean, one puzzle game I did not finish yet, and I hope to someday finish if I get a copy game again, is Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. Whoa. I was stuck in the last stage. I had no idea how to finish it. That was a, wasn't wasn't that a point and click game also? Yeah, but you could die. Oh, yeah, that was very different for me. I played Maniac Mansion and, you know, Dave the Tentacle, where you don't die. This one I died, like, oh, whoa, okay, this is pretty hardcore. I do And not... that, for me, was very innovative in my sense also because of it was different from Point. Like, it was very mature in that sense, that it, there was consequence for your actions. It, w- it also made the point-and-click more context-sensitive because you had to do things under a, certain, under a certain set of parameters or you were punished for them. Yeah, and for me, that was a nice innovation to it because it added a nice little twist. And I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it did not change the gameplay entirely. I mean, it was still a point-and-click adventure. Nothing really changed. I still click pick up, uh, use, see. Uh, this is the same thing with Team Fortress 2. Even though it's not that majorly innovative in the sense that it has this game-changing aspect to it, it added this enough to make it really stand out. Okay. See, what other game do you see where people are going around looking for hats? True. And honestly, as much of the hat thing is a joke, it's a really strong community surrounded around it. And also a very profitable venture for people who spend the time designing hats. Yeah. I know of the fact that people were making six digits off of hats. Yep. I mean, what game does that? If that's not innovation, then what is? It's something that changed up just a little bit that this made it boom. So essentially, this, so essentially we're, this is getting very meta, apparently. Meta, yes. Meta, meta, intricate, extricate, I don't know. Because we're we're not, not we're now I don't know it's like I kept on looking at this topic from the standpoint of gameplay mostly. Well, I mean, I guess for me, I I love playing games. I love marketing things also as well. I mean, it was the thing I took in hmm. college. I tried to see things from not just from perspective, especially from analog games, where our form of innovation was not just gameplay oriented. It had to go beyond that. Oh, okay. Hmm. Actually, yes. 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 That what. Yes, that is the case. I mean, with indie games, it's very easy to see the innovation in the sense that they make all these nice things. But of course, it goes down to the question, why do we demand these things? Yet at the same time, we don't seem to support it with our wallets, which seem to be the most important thing, especially when it comes to, well, a business. Like you're not the gamers who develop these things. The in, the consideration, in the consideration for the big AAA developers... I'm pretty certain there are a number of them that want to innovate. Don't well, get Nintendo. me wrong. Nintendo loves doing that. I mean, you saw some of their failures, which are innovations. Yeah, but... Our glove. Um, yes, but not even just Nintendo. Wii. Not just even Nintendo. No, 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 no. No, no, we wait... No, I'll sit reserve judgment on the Wii U in the next three years. But... I judge it now. But, yeah, you judge it now, I'll judge it in the next three years. But I'm pretty certain that even in the other companies, they are... They... They want to innovate, but I don't think they're going to... I don't think they'll want to, mostly because it might affect the bottom line. Well, I mean, the reason why it'll affect the bottom line, at least from my perspective, is they're scared that people won't buy into it. But that's also what I want to look into in the community. The community 
not yes. just demands this, we make it ourselves. Yes. We, I mean, look at the community support for games. I mean, these things are not based off lots of lore. They're innovative in the sense of how these, especially Skyrim right now, some of the new Skyrim mods. Skyrim's a three-year-old game. And yes. there have been so much new changes done because of modders that it feels like a different game already. Yes. And Yet it's still... we seem to work on it. We honestly spend, some of these guys spend, what, 90 days easy on working on some small stuff. Yet, somehow, these people who love these things, we support these guys, are not willing to shell out when a major company does the same thing. It's weird. In some cases, people want to see that innovation, and in a number of cases, there are some of there are some there are some pockets of people that even includes that even include the people that want innovation. They're also afraid of change. So much so that you come into a situation where you have people who want to see innovation, but they want it in a certain way. That when a company presents that innovation, they might be scared of it or they don't want anything to do with it because it's not done in the way that they want. That's the way I see it in some cases. I mean, that also makes a lot of sense where we want change, but up to a certain extent. No, we want change, but it can't be done this way. Yeah, okay, uh, certain methods, I guess, you're trying to say. There's certain yeah. methodologies we want it to go. Essentially, are you trying to say that we want innovation and we know what this innovation is, and if it's not that what we want, we won't accept it? Here's the thing. I'm not assuming that people know what they want. However... <laughs> like the people who are making innovation requests to Pokemon? Yeah. Was it over put all 700... I was it, 700... 20 now, or is it more than that? Uh, 716 Pokemon. 716 Pokemon said they want all 716 Pokemon in one game, all the regions, all the other stuff, and all these things. To which I then say, <laughs> to which I then say, wait for the Pokemon MMO. To which I, to which I then say, I hope that Nintendo goes PC. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, that's never gonna happen. I mean, yeah. I'm just sure Nintendo might make a PC type thing, they're but gonna they're probably it. never going to make an MMO for Pokemon. The way I see it, if Nintendo did anything of the sort, they'd probably find a way to lock it down to their platform. Not just that. I mean, uh, MMOs, well, this is probably a topic I'll bring another point, are not the best money makers. They aren't. They have a life expectancy. I mean, the fact that uh, World of Warcraft stayed alive this long is an exception, not the rule. Um, I know for a fact that server costs are going to be part, are definitely a part of that. Yep, but there's also a lot of other things that I'm not too privy about that uh, increase the cost of that. And to twist this topic back to our main thing about let's use MMOs here for innovation. Uh, right now, I guess an innovative MMOs, how people would like to say, is these well, Elder Scrolls MMO, yes. which three innovative things it do- it has done was one the mega server, yes, which honestly sounds like putting all your eggs in the basket. Yes. But besides the mega server, the fact that they have no cooldowns for any of their skills. Yes. They just have the mana bar, stamina bar, and magicka bar. Yes. And thirdly, it is a gigantic world. Yes. That is fairly dynamic in the sense that you can actually steal things, you can do all this other stuff, but at the same time, I mean, as innovative as it was, I mean, the five things that really kind of killed it for me, I'm a big Elder Scrolls fan. I mean, I've, I've even played Daggerfall. Okay, l- 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 
you know, I want to hear this because I've already heard a lot of reasons why people did not like or left Elder Scrolls Online. I want to hear from you. Well, the five big things I'd like about it is one, as much as they tried to make it like the single player campaign or the single player feel, it just wasn't there simply because these instances had a really bad refresh rate. And the other part of it was, I do love a big world. Again, I play Daggerfall. Daggerfall is, I think, the biggest map ever made for a game at this point. Okay. But their world felt repetitive. Daggerfall had the excuse of being repetitive because of the system. They did not. And as lore-filled as they wanted it to feel like, it felt very empty. Hmm. Very empty. So, and of course, one major thing is the Imperials being a special pre-bone, pre-purchase race that you can only get if you spent on the was it the limited edition. That stuff. doesn't play. That does not play well into the lore. I can assume it doesn't play really too well because, for one thing, the Emperor, the Emperor of the of Tamriel is based in Cyrodiil. Cyrodiil is Imperial, so if okay. you can't be Imperial unless you paid earlier, it feels kind of painful to the lore. Like, wait, no. I don't remember a Kajik being this, or you know any of the Fal the uh, Falmore being this. I mean, Falmore were in charge, but never in face. It was always someone else. Okay, so so it sounds like you had to pay extra money for a game that you could not get reviews on to get a more lore friendly approach. Okay, and while at the same time it's making it more lore friendly, uh, I'm making air quotes right now. If you got the pre purchase, you could also change up where this race belongs in the whole alignment thing. Because it became that, you know, the elves were on one side, they were the Aldemir Dominion, yes. and you had the Kajik and th- and such, and another one, you had the Red Guard, the, well, everyone else in the Narsic set you up. The, That's the, how they made it. You had they the made, Nords, Dark Elves, and the... They had the uh, alignment. Yeah. Argonians. But for some reason, if you buy the pre-purchase, it didn't matter. You could be a, Anything you want in any yeah, of the Yeah, you could be a high elf with the Nords, or you could be a Nord with the Kajik. And so suddenly it became you could be very lore friendly or you could say no I don't like this lore thing I'm going to change it up isn't it also <laughs> that you could not encounter players of the other factions unless you were in PvP yeah which I'm actually mixed on I mean one I do appreciate that in the sense that it does keep people from dying too much which I have seen a lot in WoW yes but at the same time that's not innovation that is a needless way of hindering people okay I mean EverQuest for me did it really well okay EverQuest had, you could encounter people. But at the same time, if you were in certain areas that were sort of safe zones, it became hard for them to attack you. So even though bullies existed, you could go to areas where they could not really operate in. Okay. Whereas in uh, Elder Scrolls Online, you can't say, no, no, banned. You can't just come around here. So so that's why it also made the world feel a lot more... Empty? Empty. Yeah, I was... I mean, as people call it, it's the horse riding simulator. Yeah, and wasn't the wasn't the gold drop rate horrible? Oh gosh, uh, it felt for a game that cost full retail and had a fifteen dollars subscription and a fifteen dollars subscription. Yes, it played like a beta. I've beta tested games, and that I beta test actually beta tested this game. I did not see any change from the beta test to the new one. There was really barely any change, especially when it came to drop rates. Yes, but when I see this, I when I looked at it, I saw a game that looked like a better test for a free to play game. Hmm. But, but and to spin and to spin this topic of MMOs back to the original statement, the one consideration I'm now gonna make is this: 
Elder Scrolls Online is a perfect example of what I mentioned earlier, where the community wants innovation, but they want it in a certain way. Point. It came to... The best case in point of this was when the reviews started coming out for Elder Scrolls Online. For the most part, the game was panned. Because of the things that Miko had mentioned earlier, and because of a number of other complaints. Now, there is another... MMO that's suddenly up and rising and start gaining a good amount of popularity. And it's gaining a lot of popularity not because of what it's do, not because it's doing anything revolutionarily new, but apparently it's getting a lot of popularity because of how familiar it is, just that they switch it up a little. That MMO is Wildstar. Oh, Wildstar has an MMO? I do not I do not know about this. I um it was in beta testing for a while. Um I might have gotten the wait, yeah, it was Wildstar. And it's currently and the thing is a lot of people are li- are loving it and praising it because it's familiar. I've seen a lot of people and for them a lot of what it makes it good for some people is the fact that it plays similarly to WoW. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a reiteration of WoW, which was essentially a revamp of EverQuest. And the thing is, people like this because it's more familiar for them, therefore it's easier for them to get into the game. Yeah, actually, I will have to agree with that. I mean, uh, that's one reason why, for me, innovation should not be purely gameplay, because if it plays in a way that you feel it should not move in, in a sense, yeah, I don't, you won't like it. I mean, that's why I genuinely don't like uh, the Call of Duty's made by Treyarch. Okay. It feels very sluggish to me, and I don't like that feeling. The only thing I could say about the Call of Duty is made by Treyarch is play in veteran mode, and you will know what re what recoil means. Nah, nah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, no. I play. I no. I'm currently running through Black Ops One on veteran. Whenever, well, it's not recoil; it's more vibration. I've been shot so many times by people, and whenever they shoot me, it's like I. I move around all over the place, man. Okay, that's not recoil. Let's call getting shot. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, I know. That's why I'm... I'm sorry. I'm finding words and I can't find the right <laughs> ones. It's okay. But yeah, I mean... uh That's for me. I mean, it did not feel familiar. Uh And I mean, that's probably also one major reason. As you said that uh, the Elder Scrolls did not sell well versus uh, Wild uh, Wildstar. Familiarity is pretty good in the sense that it allows us to get in. That's why innovation for me, that's gameplay related very hard though to be honest wildstar did wildstar is trying to spin the formula in a way that's you know different from wow there from what i know a lot of it involves not putting as many barriers towards later game content as there had existed in wow for for a good long while i think that was about from the later parts of cataclysm all the way through mists there was a barrier of entry. A considerable barrier of entry. But yeah, but uh, I guess also when it goes back to familiarity or for the iterations, not only is it familiar and easier for us to jump into, uh, we won't feel too alienated by the game. Because I yes. think that's also one major thing. I mean, as much as Elder Scrolls MMO was Elder Scrolls, yes. and I love Elder Scrolls, I cannot stress that. I love the game. I love the series. Yes. It felt different it El- felt wrong elder scrolls online felt wrong to you 
It felt really wrong. It didn't feel as... It didn't feel like an Elder Scrolls game. I mean, you could tell. It's like, oh, you hit the requirements to be this game, but you're not. Essentially, it felt like a pretentious Elder Scrolls game. No, I won't even say pretentious. It just really felt like it was a MMO with a Elder Scrolls skin on it. But a skin, not yeah. an actual There were aspects game. that made it feel like it, but it just did not feel familiar enough, and it felt very strange to me. I mean, okay. I think it's one reason why indie games have a lot more going for them when it comes to their innovation because we have no prior expectation to it. Okay. I mean, look at Minecraft, which is essentially one of the most innovative games at the time, as people say. Okay. Simply because there was no game that really preceded in that sense. I mean, sure, we had games that had lots of crafting. We had lots of sandbox games. We had lots of games with survival concepts. I mean, Minecraft has a lot of things that lots of other games had. But there was nothing for us to rebase it on. And its innovative concept of the whole digital Lego really appealed to us. It was different. We did not have this expectation that need to be met. So we had this, we didn't have this concept. You should innovate within this realm. It had a lot more freeway. I mean, even Papers, Please. Yes. Which for me is, I still kind of consider not a real game to an extent sometimes. Yes. It feels more like a social commentary on uh, Uh, (laughs) Eastern European life during that time period. So essentially interactive social commentary. Yeah. I didn't really feel like game. But I mean, that thing, we didn't have any game prior papers, please. We didn't have a, you know, border police simulator. So... PSA game on its way, I guess. So you're... So basically what you're trying to say is that the best way to innovate is to take something that's completely unknown and make use of it. Or essentially make a new IP. I mean, if you really want to innovate as well as what the web community says it, where we want something really different. Yeah. It's very hard to do that with a current IP. I mean... It's hard to do it with a current IP and it's challenging to the to do that within the realms of a of the per, within the realms of a certain genre or a certain you know subset of of genres or games mm. because if you try to if you try to innovate but base your 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 desire to innovate on the demands of the community their expectations may actually feel limiting mm. that you might end up Trying to appeal to people to people through familiarity, but try to innovate at the same time. True. I mean, uh, like Mario. I think Mario has been what was the count? Mario has appeared in over was it six hundred games at yes. this point? I mean, they were not all Mario games, obviously, but he yes. has appeared in those games. Yes. I think he only had I think barely a hundred games to himself. Yes. Uh, when you look at, when you think of Mario games, I mean, the ones that me pop up, of course, is Mario 1, Mario 2, Super- Mario World, uh, Smash Bros. to an extent, uh, even, but, uh, even like Mario RPG, but the ones Super- you remember are the most staple games. Yes. It's not saying that, uh, Mario never innovated. They did, and it never really went well for them. I mean, Mario RPG for me was what a fantastic game. I just worked with Square Enix and Nintendo. Yeah, I think that's the reason why it worked was it was not the full Nintendo project. Yes. But you could tell that it did not really appeal too much. As familiar as it may seem, as good as the marketing was, the, the commercials were fun. I mean, the commercials were what made me play. Okay. Uh, It wasn't Mario to me. I enjoyed it because it was an RPG. But it was not. But if you are a big Mario fan, you probably would not enjoy it. It was if if you were a fan of tra- if you're a fan solely of traditional Mario gameplay, yeah. it was alien. I mean, I think the best innovation so far was Mario 3D, Mario 64. Yes. 
Uh, I'm not gonna say like Mario. What's the new one with like the the planets and things? Uh, what's uh, the one? Galaxy Mario Galaxy. Mario Galaxy. Not very innovative. I mean, what do you came, what really came as innovative to me was Mario 64 because that was really the first 3D Mario, I'd, and it changed it enough if, and was familiar enough. I'd I'd consider Galaxy more iterative with with some aspect that was innovative. Basically, the travel, the travel, the traveling between planets and the free flying thing yeah. that they had going for them. But the hard part there was again, I the IP of Mario. Gosh, Mario is an iconic character. I mean, uh, Paul and I, we are Sonic guys. I love Sonic. I mean, I love yes, everything we're, Sonic. We're Sonic guys, yeah, except for the really maybe bad games, which were a lot. But uh, yeah, no, 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 I have no, to give no, no, Mario- most of the most of the ga- most. Uh, mind you, most of those games were were bit anywhere between two thousand four slash two thousand six to two thousand ten or so. But Mario is really an iconic character. Yes. Sonic is known, but I'm sorry, I'm a Sonic fan, but I'll even agree mm. that Mario is. Far well known. Mario is far Sonic. far well known, and it helps that Mario has had a better track record in recent years. But that then puts that puts um, predetermined expectations on the character. Even though Mario first appeared as a villain, essentially. Yes. But uh, that aside, that's what made the high. That's what made it really hard to make anything innovative with him because the IP was so well understood and recognized that doing anything too, too different, different was could bite you in the butt. Yeah. I Which mean, the most innovative Mario game I saw wasn't Mario. It was Luigi. Yes. Luigi's Mansion. Not Luigi's, like, uh, not the first Luigi game where he went around the real world looking for things educational. It was really weird. That but Luigi's weird. Mansion. Mainly because there was really no Luigi game we could base it off because those Luigi games were so horribly bad. No one yes. remembered them. And the thing is, it also helped because it also helped to flesh out Luigi as a character. Mm-hmm. Flesh out Luigi as, Luigi as a character, put Luigi, Luigi in his own situation, and basically put him in a kind of game that you don't really see much of. Yeah. Or if at, if anything at all. Hmm. I mean, the Smash Brothers, I mean, people like to say it's innovative, it's not really, it's a fighting game, and these characters being used are not, I mean, they're not, they have in, in not be fight, they have not In a way, form. it is innovative, if you go by the fact that it was the first, and I'm putting air quotes here, fighting game to do something, to put, um, or to make fu- fuller use of the arena as well as do stuff with four car- four players at the same time. I'll give it that, but, uh, for me, it wasn't that much of an innovation. I don't know. Interesting, I, though. I, cons- I don't consider it as much of a fighting game than a competitive brawler, as I could put it. But I mean, those things still fits with the iteration in the sense that it's getting things that are very familiar. I mean, it did not grab characters who did not fit in. Yes. I mean, they got characters who could be understood as people you could use in a fight. Yes. But I think, but uh, just to show though that uh, it is possible to make very good, innovative games with iconic characters, look at the Legend of Zelda series. Yes. Uh, there are a number of innovative Zelda games that were really nice. I mean, I have to say that... Uh, wasn't it, uh... Which one? Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask. It was a really different concept. I mean, it was a game with a countdown. It had a, essentially had a countdown every single time you repeat the three days. Okay. Uh, there, there was a glitch for a fourth day. It did change it up. You had the running clock. You had all these things going on, which the older Zelda did not have. Okay. You understood it as something very familiar. But same that you had these new aspects that really forced you to do a whole bunch of different things. And it's one of the only Zelda games to not go with the standard Zelda plot. Yeah. 
And plus, you know, it had a very independent Zelda who really seemed like she didn't need you. Wait, Zelda appeared in Majora's Mask? Oh, sorry, sorry, I was thinking Twilight Princess. No, no, I'm saying Majora's Mask. It's really different, and then it wasn't bad. I mean, people, it was really a well-selling game. It, I think, it did get a re-release in the newer games? Not yet. There's... It's only Ocarina? There are people clamoring for re-release. There are people spreading rumors of a re-release. Or even Four Swords. Four Swords for me was a very different Zelda game, and I enjoyed it. Okay. That's what I mean. It's possible to do this with a... Established. Established IP. It's just challenging. Very. Because of, well, again, predetermined expectations. I mean, even with Pokemon, as much as it's changed that with Pokemon X and Y... It still, I think, follows like what Paolo it, no, said, where it, it is innovated, but it stayed within a realm. Here's the thing: it, for the most part, it is an iteration. It's just that they added enough new things that you could present it as innovation. It was, but in reality, you're just looking at the at a really well done iteration with just enough new sauce to make it, you know, that much tastier. Oh, okay. But well, for me, the it the real innovation was when it started using actual time. I found that very innovative. I don't see games oh, that yeah. were not were not browser games or games that were. <laughs> all right, I all right. I keep that for- actually used the clock. All right, I keep forgetting that uh, Pokemon X and Y's clock is now literally tied to real life. Yeah, and for me, that was amazing. I mean, I barely see much games with that. The same way, I mean, I just can't realize where when Though, you get to those be, games, you don't need the archive cartridge, you could actually just download it. Though, to be honest, um, they didn't make complete use of the use of actual time in X and Y. Because, here's the thing, when I look at the golden standard for um, enemy encounters at different times of day, I simply look back to gold and silver. You had very different Pokemon appearing at very different times of day. Mm. In Pokemon X and Y, you didn't have that. Yeah. And also, I think it was, it was one of the Castlevania games, I remember, that had a solar sensor in the, was it the DS or something? What gave you, it was a commercial I saw, where you actually had to play outdoors. I don't recall a Castlevania game using that. I do recall a game uh, made by... Um, Keiji Yunafune, after he left Capcom for a while, it was called Taiyo, The Sun is in Your Hands, where basically you, it was kind of like a mix of Mega Man and Metal Gear, where you had a gun that was powered by the sun, and if you didn't play outside, your gun would run out of energy, and you'd have to play the game pure stealth in order to go okay. through it. The one I remember, it really had vampires in it, so when I think vampires, I end up thinking Castlevania. No, no, I- I think that was... Wait. I think Tayo had something to do with vampires also. Okay, it might have been the same game, but I mean, I found that very innovative. But of course, that's innovation at the cost of making sure you have the technology to support it. Yes. Which is very expensive innovation. I mean, like the Wii U and the Wii. Those are very expensive forms of innovation, even though the Wii, for me, is just a power glove with a console. Um, I'd, I'd go a step further and say that the Wii was the power glove done right. Yeah, power level of the console. Yeah. I mean, that's what made it work. It had its own system to realize, you know, this is really stupid. Let's make a system to make it work. Mm, yes. But hey, the power glove was pretty cool, though. And to be fair, V, and to be fair, 
That was also the to case. To young listeners, the power glove was this weird thing he put on. It was a gaming peripheral. It was, a, it was not good. It's a nice thing to cosplay with. I just won't game with it. I actually would love to see like, a cosplayer here use that for something. And, you know, that also reminds me about another innovation that's literally being brought, being dug up from the grave and brought back again. Only this time it actually works. VR. Hmm. Really, huh? I say this because when Nintendo introduced gaming VR yeah. back in the day with the Virtual Boy, mm-hmm. yes, that was con- that would have been considered an innovation. It was horrible. Wasn't oh god, it? this is one of the worst things ever. But to be fair, it was really brought, pushed out too quickly. Yes. I mean, uh, I was actually able to research more into it. The proposed design was actually supposed to look a lot better. What we end up getting was the prototype. Oh. And this is, but again, this is why I'm saying that VR is a innovation that's now being dug up from the grave. From the grave, only this time it's coming into an age where it can actually shine. True, though I think that's also kind of similar to our talk about immersive, augmented, and such. And I find yeah, I know, the I'm... VR a bit closer to immersive, at least the ones right now. Yes, but I'm just trying to bring this out in bring this out in the open because in relation to our topic for this talk, this also needs to be said. A lot of the quote-unquote innovations that are actually being presented to you are actually iterations or or innovations that never took off when they were first conceived. Well, I mean, I'd still consider it an innovation just because, I mean, the fact that it didn't take off. Yeah. It means it was just forgotten time. I mean, the fact that it's forgotten. Yeah. I mean, you could say it's rediscovered technology and things, but no, for us, it's something's innovative. Yes. It's just that... The innovation never took off when it originally came out. So Might be because of, well, the population then, the popu- technology. Usually it's, in these cases, it was usually just the technology not being up, up to scratch. Oh, yeah, like, you know, the Atari Jaguar, the first 64-bit console, that even only though it wasn't really a 64-bit console. The, that only played um, Sega CD quality games, if I'm correct. Well, I guess in fairness, you know, no one understood how to make games for it. I mean, same way that I think the PS3 came out the first time. People weren't really sure how to use it to its full potential. The th- uh, yes, but to be fair, the situation with the PS3 was different with the situation with Saturn for one reason. At a certain point, it came to a point where people were just forced to work with it. Because, because in these times, the console market is pretty standardized. And I think it was with the arrival of the PS Wii 60 generation that we got that standardization going well i think by that time just lots of the other companies kind of died out i mean there are lots of other smaller game companies out there actually nobody hears about them well to be fair yes a lot of the a lot of a number of portables a number of game companies actually died out at the time midway died out at the time Mm -hmm. thq just died out two years ago but to be fair that to be fair that what wait i'm sorry my train of thought just derped on me (laughs) <laughs> ah, RAM failure. Uh, are you just going to stare at me like that for the next five minutes? I'm waiting for you to reboot. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, when it comes to innovation in those sense, yeah, it's things either me technology could not support it, but for me, if it, your innovation requires technology... You're not really trying to innovate. You're trying to push something that just doesn't make sense. I mean, innovating something that's beyond the current means 
it's not going to work simply because people will not be able to enjoy it. So and you... the ones who do enjoy it, it'll be such a limited market. Yes. I mean, that's a problem right now with a- anything AR-related, as innovative as AR is, augmented reality. You can refer to our pre- one of our previous episodes. Uh, the problem... It's hard to get into. It's hard to get into because, well, the amount of things you need for it. Not just that, the amount of learning you have to get into it. Yeah. Uh, the best innovation feels natural. I mean, that's what made Portals 1 for me really nice. It, for some reason, even though you've never played a game with, you know, these magical portals that could go here, there, and everywhere, uh, it somehow felt like, you know, it felt normal for some reason. You could understand it on the go. And if I'm correct, if I'm correct, a lot of people who never even, who were never even big fans of puzzle games really got into the game. Because it felt natural for some reason. I mean, even Papers, Please, as much as it's a social commentary versus a game, you kind of got the idea. It didn't seem complicated. So, basically, I think we may have come to our conclusion Mm. that innovation is wanted, but it's wanted in a certain way. And the best way to get to that innovation is to have it be given to you or be presented in such a natural way that it doesn't feel alien to you. It's like it's like sticking your hand into a box where you can't see into the box. Ideally you want to be pulling ideally you want to be pulling out a reminder of a child of your childhood dog, you know, a little puppy, not this weird alien creature that wants to implant eggs into you by sticking into your face. I am not putting my hand in any of your boxes. But yeah, I mean, essentially, do not innovate just to innovate. Innovation has to be done, well... Innovation, ba- so basically... Properly. <laughs> innovation cannot be done for innovation's sake. Innovation has to be done to, well, create something good. Either you're progressing the group, or you're just trying to create something, well, new. Co- create something new and enjoyable. Uh- until then, well, the best thing, I guess, we did not carve this in iterations. The nice thing about iterations is it gives people who want to innovate the funding to do so. True. And that's one reason why Nintendo can do so much innovative things is, honestly, they can afford to do it. I think at this point, they can afford to be on the deficit for 30 years just because of the Wii sales. And to be f- and to be fair... The Wii, it prints money. And to be fair, there are a number of iterations that do show signs of innovation... And we are seeing more of those, so, you know, baby steps to perfection. Yep. But yeah, guys, remember, when you're demanding innovation, make sure you know what you're demanding. And yes. when you see people buying a COD over and over again, as much as you want, you know, be again with the COD hate group, hey, they're experimentally doing something right. Yeah, anyway, so... it's called fun. <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, leave your comments below. I mean, let's know what you think. Like... Uh, like it if you like it, dislike it if you dislike it. We we do have a dislike button, right? Uh, at this point here, I'm pretty sure people can dislike us if they want to. I mean, there's comments there. Okay. Anyway, make sure you check out the other shows like Third World Linux, the Bodega Knights, the amazing, amazing show, uh, the Sunstar Podcast. And of course, you can check out our previous episodes at channel14.com. This is the off-tangent section where we talk about things. Just about anything. Hopefully not too much things Paolo-related because those things can get us banned. 
No, don't worry. I'm not that, that I'm not at that frame of mind right now. I spent too much of that frame of mind playing DRP. I don't believe you. <laughs> no, seriously. No, 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 seriously. Look at me. Come on. I'm the face of innocence right now. You scare me. <laughs> oh, actually, talking about uh, this. Actually, there's a instinct thing I just noticed on the news. Uh, well, I think it's already known here that we like watching things from Rooster Teeth. Yeah. Uh, Rooster Teeth is releasing a video game. Oh, they are. Yeah, based on the Ruby series. Uh, okay, remember? now that was expected. Well, I found it really strange, mainly because, well, I have never seen any show go one season that, and, you know, barely a year pass from the first season ending and there's a video game. Okay, let's... But in fairness to them... Let's make this very clear. This is... Let's make this very clear. We're talking about Rooster Teeth. We're not talking about some... We're not talking about some studio linked to Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network. We're talking about Rooster Teeth. Yeah. But in France, then the reason why they made the game is, if I remember, there was a fan-made game for Ruby. It looked really nice. Tried it, kind of boring, kind of like repetitive. But you know, hey, for an indie thing, it was fantastic. Uh, they're bringing in that guy and his team to re- to work the game. But I just found it so strange to me because, wow, you guys must be very, very, very confident with your IP to go. We made one season; it's barely been a year. Let's go for a video game. I mean, a community-made video game for me. Hey, great. I mean, that's a fun one, but how, I don't think I would how be are they convinced fun? enough to do this. Are they going to Indiegogo for this? Uh, I don't believe so. I think they actually have enough in-house funds. I think this is they're not touching the Laser Team thing because that is set only for, for that Laser production. Team. Yeah. Laser Team funds are only for Laser Team. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's good for them. And I'm sure they have enough scratch for this uh, project. It just seems for me a little ambitious that you're not making a full-length movie at this time. But you're also trying to produce a game. Sure, it's Woods' help of an outsourced group, but still, that's a lot of things to do and really ambitious for something that you just had one season of. No, season two of Ruby is coming soon. You know, I was going to bring up Screw Attack and making the Angry Video Game Nerd Adventures vi- game. Then I remembered that there were nerd episodes since 2004. Oh gosh, uh, the nerd. Gosh, uh, that is the he is the first uh, gaming guy I watched. Uh, I watched, and this back, yeah, this is back before he was anything YouTube. It was just on his website. Yes. I mean, I even watched lots on of his Cinemasker. short films. Yeah, Cinemasker.com, okay. where he had lots of his short, uh, short, uh, short films. Okay. I mean, he uh, James is really a film guy. Yes. He has some nice stuff, and AVGen is what he is known for. Yes. But uh, honestly, his other stuff is pretty nice too. Yes. Uh, I would not honestly suggest his games for reviews simply because he will be reviewing games most of you have never heard of. Um, I mean, I felt amazed that I actually paid a quarter of the games he reviewed. Wait, what do you mean? A quarter of the games he reviewed and showed? You played. actually played them. Okay. I mean, it's amazing because these are some pretty like obscure games. If I'm correct, though, when he ever, whenever he does nerd episodes, for the most part, he's hunting down for really bad games. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was his concept with AVG. Yeah. I mean, this was before Rage Quit or anything then, like that. Sense, but in that, but then again, in that case, that also meant that a lot of these games would be relatively unknown. Yeah, but I mean, Simon's Quest. Simon's Quest was not unknown. I mean, the Castlevanias he's done are not unknown. Yes. I mean, even Simon's Quest, his he was actually w- criticized that. He was looking for problems that weren't really there. Yeah. But then he also defended that, yeah, it's just really for fun for the video. 
there's some things that he agrees that it's a good game and things, but there were just some things that didn't make um, sense that he liked to poke fun of. I think it was made clear when he made an interview that whenever he does an AVGN episode, he was always going to emphasize the bad, even to the point of exaggeration, because oh, yeah. that's the character of the nerd. Yep. Like I said, I enjoyed watching all his things, and honestly, I mean, that's what made me want to look into lots of older stuff. But I guess at the same time, I enjoyed reviews in the way, in his reviews. I, I don't know why I enjoy obscure reviews. I love reviews of the most obscure things. I mean, this is shown when I was rebanging into Airsoft. Okay. There was this thing called Scar TV. It okay. was, uh, these, year, I forgot where. It's these Europeans. They had these really thick accents. And they would be re- doing reviews on Airsoft guns. Now, of course, me, I watched lots of Airsoft gun reviews. But what they reviewed were guns you will probably never, ever in your life own. Because they're, because they're insanely rare okay. or insanely expensive or discontinued or discontinued so they'd be doing reviews on guns that oh heck one gun they did was the Sun Project M40 sniper rifle okay. there are only about 40 of those in the world that... can you imagine doing a review on something like that <laughs> oh, they must have been given that one yeah it was on Lent it was uh, lent to them they could not they did not purchase it for obvious reasons it's really hard to get but it was actually discontinued and destroyed because it was found that you could convert it to fire 22 caliber bullets. Which made one of the biggest selling points in Japan was when people found you could convert it. Lots of them bought so they could have a converted 22. So lots of those were destroyed. Okay. Uh, there was It was never proven if you could redo the 22 conversion because the owners of the remaining ones completely refused to do that. Out of the fact that they're destroying you know, a collector's item. Okay. But they'd be reviewing things like that. I And I even went down to when I watched some weird reviews on these obscure movies. I don't know why. I just have this weird fascination with reviews of obscure things. Okay. And AVGen, for some reason, clicked with me that way because not only was it gaming, it was obscurities. Uh, you. I mean, Paolo, what did you, did you watch AVGen? What did you enjoy about it? Entertainment. The entertainment value that he Diarrhea. gives. Diarrhea. Again, the entertainment <laughs> value that he gives. Yeah, and basically... I, I don't know what the entertainment value no, is then, of, you know, diarrhea on Bugs Bunny, but yes, it no, was amusing. It's am- it's amusing because he because of the fact that he can get so angry, and he can get so angry that it gets to comical proportions. Essentially, for me, the, AV, the AVGN was instrumental and helpful for my greater appreciation for a lot of things in in gaming and whatnot because he wasn't just he wasn't doing a review in the kind of standard oh we're presenting a product and we're trying to see if it's worth your money kind of way no he was doing an entertainment review he was he wasn't trying to he was using the product as a platform to make entertainment for you mm-hmm. essentially Essentially, these days, one of the things I appreciate a lot, a lot in reviews, especially from independent reviewers, isn't so much them reviewing the game based on, you know, the standard review metrics, but based on how much entertainment they can make for you with those reviews. That's true. Okay. I mean, that's, that's an interesting way to put it. In. That's an interesting way to look into it. Uh, I guess, I mean, me, I, again, I enjoyed it because it was obscure reviews. That, also I mean, helps. I mean, that's one reason why I enjoy Top Gear is, you know, they're reviewing, they review lots of cars I honestly probably never owned or ever get a chance to ride or drive. Okay. 
and yet it just clicks to me. But I guess that's my weird peeve that I love these obscure views, even when it comes to real guns. Uh, I love the we I love the thing. It's a um, YouTube forget forgotten weapons. Okay. And it has like the weirdest things. 